Thank you for joining us today for our lesson. Hope you're having a, a great week as we start a, a new week in a new series. How many times have you heard people say recently, well, things are changing, and, uh, and they are changing. Matter of fact, I'm convinced of this, and I tell my students this all the time. I don't think things will ever go back to how they were prior to COVID, let's say, or prior to a, a variety of other situations that have taken place. And so it's always good when we see something occur to look at the Bible for an example, because you see, the Bible is a standard that we can trust. And I would rather build the standard that we're going to shoot for on the Bible than any other standard. And we're not the first generation that's, that's had a situation where things are changing. The book of Joshua talks about these changes, and, and we're going to look at some of the characters in a minute. But I want us to, to look, first of all, at the overall story. It's an interesting one. And this is really Joshua's final message to his people. And let me tell you this. His final message was a great one, a good one. And we do well to heed it. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says that, that the things that have happened to Israel and to the Old Testament saints have happened for our example. We're to learn from them. And that's why I say, well, things are changing, but... But let's not regret that. Let's take that in stride. But let's see what we should do to make sure that those changes actually work for the glory of God and for the benefit of mankind. And so look at the story in Joshua chapter 24, verse 29. It came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. Don't you like those, those titles? The servant of the Lord died being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance at Timnah-Sherah, which is a Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a plot of ground which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. Wow. Big changes were occurring for, for Israel. And, and you know what? Big changes are occurring for us. And so let's look at these important changes to see if we can't use that as a compass for, for what we can do in our day and time when things are changing. Things are changing dramatically. And you know what? More changes are going to come. We're not done seeing changes. But God is still the same. And so let's look at these leaders. Well, first of all, Joseph. Joseph, remember in Egypt, he said, I don't want my bones to be here. I believe that God has promised us a land. So carry my bones. And so when I see them mention the, the burial of Joseph's bones, it reminds me of the promises of God. You know, the promises of God are good whether the things are changing or not. You know, God doesn't change. God's standard is holy and it's stable. God's salvation is, is wonderful and it's stable. It's forever. It's eternal. And so we do well to understand that the promises of God in changing times are exactly what we need to hang on to. 
And then another leader was Joshua. What a leader he was. Remember, it was Joshua and Caleb that were faithful to, to report the, the true story of the promised land. It was Joshua who accompanied Moses and so many of the activities. And I know that Moses knew God face to face, as it says. And Joshua was his deputy. And let me tell you that, that Joshua was a legend in his own. And it wasn't just Joshua. It was also the, the elders that outlived Joshua. To me, the fact that he dies here, it, it says changes are coming. But it has to do with the fact that the possessions. You see, Joshua was in charge of bringing the people of Israel out of the wilderness across the Jordan into the new land. Moses was restricted. This was the job of Joshua. And now when you come to the end of the book of Joshua, the land has been conquered. Now it's the idea of possessing your possessions. And Joshua, the great leader, the one who had been so consistent in his walk, he dies. And, and that's, if that wasn't enough, here's Eliezer. Eliezer, wow, the son of Aaron, the faithful high priest. And now the high priest dies. Why, why would that be a, a mark an important change? Well, here's why. Because remember that there were cities of refuge. And these cities of, of refuge, this is where people would go and get protection if an accident occurred. Someone was, was accidentally wounded or killed. They could go there for protection from the family. But when the high priest died, now everyone is released. And so the bones of Joseph remind me of the promises of God. They're stable. Joshua and his death, it reminds me of the possessions that God has given us to possess. You know, we're well equipped as believers, but sometimes we don't possess our possessions. And deliverance, when the high priest dies, it was a deliverance time. And so these are big changes that were taking place. Let me tell you how big these changes are. I, I think the only way to, to look at it is just turn forward a page or two in the book of Judges and what a change the book of Judges is. If you ever get up in the morning and you feel really mm, pretty discouraged, read the book of Joshua. It's a book of victories. But maybe some morning you get up and you say, you know what, I'm feeling so good I can't control it. I got to tame down a little bit. Well, read the book of Judges because it's filled with failures. Joshua's victories judges his failures and so no sooner does the leader Joshua die and now look at Judges chapter 1 verse 1 now after the death of Joshua it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying who shall go out for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them and and a verse or two later where well, they they pick Simeon who must have been the the toughest of the other brothers they said, we'll send him. He's our best fighter. He's our champion. But the truth was, they should have said, the Lord's still here. It's the Lord God Almighty who would deliver us. You see, I look around at all that's taking place, and if we're not careful, we really don't give credit to the Lord, do we? I know things are changing. Don't get me wrong. There are times I look at America and I say, it's really changed. There's times I look at local churches and say, wow, it's really changed. And I can remember, I'm old enough to remember when, when people used to sing incredible songs, hymns that praised God to the highest, that the, the words were deep meaning. I can remember a time when, when every single person brought a Bible to the Bible study. I can remember a time when, 
when it didn't matter if your sermon went a, a few minutes longer because we, we weren't on such a routine that we had, to, we had to flee to the next activity. But things are changing. And we have to say, all right, what's the standard? What can we learn from this? And so in Israel, things were changing. Yes, Joshua died. But that's because the possessions were possessed. Eliezer died. That's because God had a, a way to, to free those that were captive in the refuge cities. And the bones of Joseph were buried. Changes were coming, but God was still able to, to meet the needs. And what I find interesting, when you come to these last two chapters of the book of Joshua, there's some important lessons concerning changing times. One of those has to do with altars. Matter of fact, recently, after one of our trips to Israel, I became occupied with the idea of altars. How many times the word altars is written in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament? But certainly there were some altars here in the book of, of Joshua. And to my surprise, it's one of the dominant characteristics of this book. For example, if you go back just a, a little bit to the book of Joshua, you'll find that, that they were in the process, chapter 22, of building an altar. And it's interesting because, let me just read you the verse, verse 16. What trespass is this that you committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from falling the Lord in that you have built you an altar that you rebel this day against the Lord. How can an altar be a rebellion to God? Well, you see, God met them at an altar. And you might say, why, why would he meet them at an altar? Well, here's why. Because you see, the only place for a holy, righteous God to meet sinful man is at an altar on the grounds of bloodshed. And you find that pattern all the way through the Bible. It begins in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. And it goes all the way through. And then in Hebrews, chapter 13, we'll look at this. It might be tomorrow before we get to this part of our lesson. You're going to see that we have a, a great altar, an improved altar, a better altar than anyone ever had in the Old Testament. But God loved the altar because it was at the altar that he met with people that needed a Savior. He met with people that, that needed his salvation. And Israel was certainly in need of the salvation. There's some interesting things about altars. Matter of fact, as I mentioned to you, it recently I've been, I've been looking at this and thinking of the pattern that, that is so often there. And, and so what took place with Israel was really something quite, I think, unusual and amazing. Because you see, what we find, if you go forward now in the book of Joshua, you'll go, go to the book of Judges, chapter 3. And here's what it says in verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the idols. How could it be? How could it be that Israel, who'd seen the deliverance of God, Israel, who carried the bones of Joseph because God made them a promise about a, 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 a land, and how could it be that, that they would forget so soon? Well, Here's what the Bible says, that no sooner had Joshua died and they were saying, okay, who's going to lead us? No sooner had Joshua and the elders who outlived him died. And guess what? Judges 3, 7 says this, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. How could they go from idols 
or I should say, how can they go from altars to the idols? That, that's really an incredible question. And so again, let's go back to this idea. Israel always met with God at an altar, but the altar became forgotten. And I look at what's taking place in terms of changes in our country, changes in the world. You know what I say? I say it's this. We've forgotten the altar. Yeah, we've got our eyes on a lot of things in the local church. We've got our eyes on a lot of things in, in Christianity. But our eye is not on the altar. Because you see, we're going to find that there's a, a great new altar for the New Testament. It's, it's not the old altars of the past. And so God met them at the altar. You know, remember when he instituted the tabernacle and later it would be in the temple. And there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was like an altar. It was where they would put the lamb. Once a year, the high priest would put the lamb there between the two cherubim. And here's what the Bible said, and God would meet with them there. And so the altar was a place of meeting. You see, I think today we have the idea that we can meet God anywhere, anytime, doing anything. And that's not true. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. No more than you could meet the king anywhere. But there's a way to meet the king and there's a way to meet God. And it always begins with an altar. And the problem here in the book of Joshua is it comes to an end. And the book of Judges begins is that it says this, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they forgot the Lord and they began to serve Balaam in the groves. How sad because you know what? As I look at the changes taking place, I'm afraid that the changes aren't always for our spiritual good. I look at the world. Do you think it's changing for the better spiritually? Oh, there's pockets of revival. And there's pockets of people getting saved. Thank God for those pockets of, uh, of places where, where the gospel is being heard and people are responding. But in general, look at our country and yet to say, wow, changes are coming. And they're not always for the spiritual good. And so, again, what I want to look at is, okay, why did God meet him at the altar? Well, it's because, you see, it had to do with the idea of bloodshed. Remember, if you go back to the first altars, it might be Cain and Abel. And Cain offered something on his altar that wasn't acceptable to God. Remember the story? And Cain became mad at God. He offered a fruits and vegetables. I'm sure they were prize-winning fruits and vegetables. But you see, Abel offered up the, the offering of a, a sacrifice of an animal. And that was acceptable to God. That's why God meets at an altar. It's a place where blood has been shed for the forgiveness of sin. And we've forgotten that, haven't we? We've left our altar. We've left our, our starting point. There's some things about altars that I think would help us to, to understand the whole story that we're looking at here. And, and one of those is found all the way back in the book of Exodus. It's an unusual thing because here's what it says. Neither shall they go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered. Wow. Can you believe that, that God is so particular that, that he didn't want a, a raised altar? Now, I can tell you this, that in traveling to Israel, in the northern part of Israel, there's a place called Dan. And Dan, as they outgrew the, the place where their, their tribe was to settle, well, they, they took a northern area. And we call it Dan to the north, northern Dan. And in the northern Dan, it's interesting because in that particular ruin, they found a high place 
And of all things, this high place where, where Israel, and the Bible commends him for it, and, and blasts him for it, and says, you're wrong, you find that the high place actually has steps leading up to it. What would be wrong with that? Uh, well, let me tell you what I think the, the principle that, that God has here. Why no steps? Because you see, as a priest would walk up those steps, because of how his garment would, would be on his body, his, his legs and his body could be exposed. And the priest was not to be exposed. God said, that's not acceptable. Furthermore, the steps speak to elevation of human achievement. And God said, no, you, you'll come to me, you'll meet with me on humble ground, on level ground. You don't, you don't raise yourself up. Sometimes I look at how we're doing things today and I wonder if we're not trying to promote ourselves. We're, we're not trying to say, God, look how good we are, look how big we are. No, we need to approach him humbly, don't we? The Bible says this, in a coming day, every knee will bow. And, and I look at how people are, are singing and praising to God. I wonder if maybe there's a time that we shouldn't humble ourselves and come to him. I'm, I wonder if we wouldn't have a, a better relationship with him. And then there's another aspect of altars that, that I see in the Bible. This is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, And the altar of whole stones, over which no man hath lifted up any iron, and they offer thereon burnt sacrifices unto the Lord, and sacrifice of peace offerings. Why, why would it be that you were to have whole stones and not cut stones? Matter of fact, let me tell you how important this is, because just recently, in the area of Shiloh, and around the area of Shechem, right where these stories take place, they found an altar. And we've reported this on B-Tip, because remember Dr. Scott Stripling, he said, wow, I, I recognize that that altar has cut stones. It, it's, not, it's not the altar that, that we're looking for. And so they made the incredible discovery by digging down deeper to the next level. And when they did, they found an altar that fits the description of the book of Joshua and the book of Leviticus. And it wasn't cut stones, it was whole stones, indeed Jewish in nature. And what a discovery that was. And we report that out of things. I, I can't get into those details today. But what's the significance of that? Why would it be that, that whole stones should be used and not cut stones? Well, here's what I think. I think it's because, you see, the cut stone has this idea that somehow or another man's work is part of atonement. On the cross, Jesus paid it all. I, I can't improve on the salvation that, that Jesus did on the cross. You see why the altar is important? Because these altars are all speaking to the fact that there would be a day that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice. He is the ultimate uh, altar, as we're going to see. And so he said, don't elevate yourself. <laughs> don't, don't try to add to salvation. D don't make it so that we expose our things. Why? Christ is going to die for our sin. And so how does this all come into play? Well, for this, I, I think it's important that we go to the, the book of Hebrews just for a, a moment. And I think you'll enjoy this whole idea of, of what God is trying to present here. Because in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, there was something about Abel's altar and sacrifice that Hebrews, 
in an interesting name for a book, Jews, Hebrews says there's a way to improve. Matter of fact, it's Jesus that is the better thing. And then you go down to chapter 13 and look at verse 10. We have an altar of which they have no right to eat who serve the tabernacle. And who was our altar? We find out that the altar is actually a person. That altar is Jesus. Wow, what, what a significant aspect of this. You see, the altar of, of Abel was important. It was so important that, that Cain said, no, I'm not going to take the life of an animal. And then you know what Cain did? He took the life of his brother. This guy who didn't want to take the life of an animal now would kill his own brother. You know, isn't it amazing that, that sometimes the very thing that we think is going to please God might be an obnoxious thing to him. And you see, God decided the only way to have sin forgiven would be through the offering of blood. And that's why the altar is important. God always meets us at the altar. It's on the basis, on the grounds of shed blood. And so then we come to this comparison. How could it say in Hebrews that, that there's a better sacrifice? Because wasn't Abel's sacrifice good for him? It was. But you see, I believe that it's a picture of, of vengeance. And it was only temporary. And later, Christ's altar. Christ himself would become the altar. And it's... It's the sacrifice of forgiveness, and it's forever. And so Hebrews is right. The altar of Jesus is way better than the altar of, of Abel. We see that Christ is the superior offering. Because another thing is this, that Jesus was himself the sacrifice. He was the altar. He was the high priest. And when he was done, he would sit down. In the tabernacle, in the temple, there was no chair. The high priest never had a chance to sit down. Why? His work was never done. But when Jesus came, his work would be a sacrifice once for all. And so think of the differences. It's incredible, isn't it? Jesus one time offers a sacrifice. The Old Testament priest time and time and time and time again. Jesus is himself the sacrifice. No, no one was that perfect. They had to find a, a lamb, a spotless lamb or a spotless bullock. What an improvement. The sacrifice that Jesus is. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It's the ultimate altar. And it speaks of the difference between the temporary and the forever. You see, if we go back and begin to review the fact that Jesus has given this kind of a sacrifice to us, I think it will encourage us during this time when everything else is changing. But back to our story in Joshua, there's something that I think is really incredible. And I want you to go back now to, to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22, to me, to see these little important nuggets hidden throughout God's word is, is so valuable for us and how we live and how we're able to, to handle these changes. And so look at Joshua chapter 22, and we read verse 16 because Joshua came to a certain group of people. They were two and a half tribes. It was Reuben and Gab and a half tribe of Manasseh. And they made a strange request. They said, hey, Joshua, we have, we have cattle. We have a lot of cattle. And if we could stay on the other side of the Jordan River, we'd be happy because that looks like a good land for cattle. And Joshua said, you've got to be kidding. God has given you a provision in the promised land. Why would you not cross over the Jordan? 
And, and he said, well, we have much cattle. And this is a good land for cattle. And we'd rather not, you know what, Joshua? We'll dwell right on the border. We'll be able to see you. Every morning we'll get up and we'll wave to you across the Jordan River. And, and Joshua was brokenhearted about it. Matter of fact, the book of Numbers carries this story. And we'll look at that in our lesson tomorrow because I think this is so important. Because in verse 16, Joshua says, You built an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. A few verses later, verse 19, listen to this. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass you over into the land of possession of the Lord, in which the Lord's tabernacle dwells, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us, in building an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. You see, they say, we want to build an altar that's going to look like the altar. I call it a, a fake altar. And you know what? This was so, so unpleasing to the people that they were on the brink of a civil war. Nine and a half tribes said, you know what? If you build this altar, it's going to break the commandment of God. Now, here's why they were concerned. They saw what Achan did. One man stole when they went into the promised land and God judged the whole nation of Israel. My friend, I, I look at America and you want to know something? I see us breaking the laws of God. I see what Daniel did. Daniel confessed his sin and the sins of his people. I don't know what sin Daniel had personally, but I know this, that in chapter 9 of Daniel, he confesses to God his sin and then the sin of his nation. My friend, I think we need to do that. Things are changing. But a righteous, holy God is still almighty. A righteous, holy God has promised that he will deliver us, and I believe his promise is true. That's the lesson of Joseph. We have our possessions. We need to possess them. We need to live in the, the strength of them. That's the lesson of Joshua. And we have our freedom. That's the lesson of Eliezer. Yeah, things were all changing, but God had not changed. My friend, do you understand? The Bible is still the sure word of God. Jesus is still the, the sure salvation of a lost and needy world. Things might be changing, but we have our stability. What's remarkable on this is we find in, in this chapter, chapter 24, it says this, that verse 22, And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Why would he make them say a witness? Well, back in chapter 22, verse 34, it says this, The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, called the altar Ed. And, and the word Ed actually means witness. I, I hope you see the significance of this. Joshua said, do you understand that God said, I'm to have only one place to meet you. And now you're building one. And they said, no, 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 this is a, a fake one. We're never going to put a sacrifice on it. We're, it's just going to be used as an object lesson. We're, we're not attached to this. We're still attached to the real altar. We're still attached to the, the one that's there in the promised land. But we're going to live on the border. And this is going to be uh, more convenient. Almost caused a civil war. And finally, they named this altar witness. And Joshua said, okay, I want you to swear. I want you to swear that you are a witness against yourselves, that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses Wow. You know what? God wants our allegiance, doesn't he? 
There's another part of the story that I want to tell you about, but we're going to have to do that tomorrow. Things are changing. But my friend, here's the good news. The Word of God hasn't changed. Thanks.